The Young Couple From Sketches of Young Couples This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine G. Charles Dickens' 200th Anniversary, Collection, Volume 2 The Young Couple from Sketches of Young Couples by Charles Dickens There is to be a wedding this morning at the corner house in the terrace. The pastry-cook's people have been there half a dozen times already. All day yesterday there was a great stir and bustle, and they were up this morning as soon as it was light. Miss Emma Fielding is going to be married to young Mr. Harvey. Heaven alone can tell him what bright colours this marriage is painted upon the mind of the little housemaid at number six, who has hardly slept a wink all night with thinking of it, and now stands on the unswept doorsteps, leaning upon her broom, and looking wistfully towards the enchanted house. Nothing short of omniscience can divine what visions of the baker, or the green grocer, or the smart and most insinuating butterman, are flitting across her mind. What thoughts of how she would dress on such an occasion, if she were a lady, of how she would dress if she were only a bride, of how cook would dress being bridesmaid, conjointly with her sister in place at Fulham, and how the clergyman, deeming them so many ladies, would be quite humbled and respectful. What daydreams of hope and happiness, of life being one perpetual holiday, with no master and no mistress to grant or withhold it, of every Sunday being a Sunday out, of pure freedom as to curls and ringlets, and no obligation to hide fine heads of hair in caps. What picture of happiness, vast and immense to her, but utterly ridiculous to us, bewildered the brain of the little housemaid at number six, all called into existence by the wedding at the corner. We smile at such things, and so we should, though perhaps for a better reason than commonly present itself. It should be pleasant to us to know that there are notions of happiness so moderate and limited, since upon those who entertain them happiness and lightness of heart are very easily bestowed. But the little housemaid is awakened from her reverie, for forth from the door of the magical corner-house there runs towards her, all fluttering in smart new dress and streaming ribbons, her friend Jane Adams, who comes all out of breath to redeem a solemn promise of taking her in, under cover of the confusion, to see the breakfast-table spread forth in state, and, sight of sights, her young mistress ready dressed for church. And there, in good truth, when they have stolen upstairs on tiptoe, and edged themselves in the chamber-door, there is Miss Emma, looking like the sweetest picture, in a white chip bonnet and orange flowers, and all other elegancies becoming a bride with the make, shape, and quality of every article of which the girl is perfectly familiar in one moment, and never forgets to her dying day. And there is Miss Emma's mamma in tears, and Miss Emma's papa comforting her, and saying how that of course she had been long looking forward to this, and how happy she ought to be. And there too is Miss Emma's sister, with her arms round her neck, and the other bridesmaid, all smiles and tears, quieting the children, who would cry more, but that they are so finely dressed, and yet sob for fair system Emma should be taken away. And it is all so affecting, that the two servant-girls cry more than anybody. And Jane Adams, sitting down upon the stairs, 
when they have crept away, declares that her legs tremble so that she don't know what to do, and that she will say for Miss Emma that she never had a hasty word from her, and that she does hope and pray she may be happy. But Jane soon comes round again, and then surely there never was anything like the breakfast-table, glittering with plate and china, and set out with flowers and sweets, and long-necked bottles, in the most sumptuous and dazzling manner. In the centre, too, is the mighty charm, the cake glistening with frosted sugar, and garnished beautifully. They agree that there ought to be a little cupid under one of the barley-sugar temples, or at least two hearts and an arrow, but, with this exception, there is nothing to wish for, and a table could not be handsomer. As they arrive at this conclusion, who should come in but Mr. John, to whom Jane says that it's only Anne from number six, and John says he knows, for he's often winked his eye down the area, which causes Anne to blush and look confused. She is going away, indeed, when Mr. John will have it that she must drink a glass of wine, and he says never mind it's being early in the morning, it won't hurt her, so they shut the door and pour out the wine, and Anne drinking Jane's health, and adding, "'And here's wishing you yours, Mr. John,' drinks it in a great many sips, Mr. John all the time making jokes appropriate to the occasion. At last Mr. John, who was waxed bolder by degrees, pleads the usage at weddings, and claims the privilege of a kiss, which he obtains after a great scuffle, and footsteps being now heard on the stairs, they disperse suddenly. By this time a carriage has driven up to convey the bride to church, and Anne of number six, prolonging the process of cleaning her door, has the satisfaction of beholding the bride and bridesmaids, and the papa and mamma hurry into the same and drive rapidly off. Nor is this all, for soon other carriages begin to arrive with a posse of company all beautifully dressed, at whom she could stand and gaze for ever. But having something else to do, is compelled to take one last long look and shut the street door. And now the company have gone down to breakfast, and tears have given place to smiles, for all the corks are out of the long-necked bottles, and their contents are disappearing rapidly. Miss Emma's papa is at the top of the table, Miss Emma's mamma at the bottom, and beside the latter are Miss Emma herself and her husband, admitted on all hands to be the handsomest and most interesting young couple ever known. All down both sides of the table, too, are various young ladies, beautiful to see, and various young gentlemen who seem to think so, and there, in a post of honour, is an unmarried aunt of Miss Emma's, reported to possess unheard of riches, and to have expressed vast testamentary intentions respecting her favourite niece and new nephew. This lady has been very liberal and generous already, as the jewels worn by the bride abundantly testify, but that is nothing to what she means to do, or even to what she has done, for she put herself in close communication with the dressmaker three months ago, and prepared a wardrobe, with some articles worked by her own hands, fit for a princess. People may call her an old maid, and so she may be, but she is neither cross nor ugly for all that. On the contrary, she is very cheerful and pleasant-looking, and very kind and tender-hearted which is no matter of surprise except to those who yield to popular prejudice without thinking why, and will never grow wiser and never know better. Of all the company, though, none are more pleasant to behold, or better pleased with themselves than the two young children, who, in honour of the day, have seats among the guests. Of these, 
one is a little fellow of six or eight years old brother to the bride and the other a girl of the same age or something younger whom he calls his wife the real bride and bridegroom are not more devoted than they he all love and attention and she all blushes and fondness toying with the little bouquet which he gave her this morning and placing the scattered rose leaves in her bosom with nature's own coquettishness they have dreamt of each other in their quiet dreams these children and their little hearts have been nearly broken when the absent one has been dispraised in jest when will there come in afterlife a passion so earnest generous and true as theirs what even in its gentlest realities can have the grace and charm that hover round such fairy lovers by this time the merriment and happiness of the feast have gained their height certain ominous looks begin to be exchanged between the bridesmaids and somehow it gets whispered about that the carriage which is to take the young couple into the country has arrived such members of the party as are most disposed to prolong its enjoyments affect to consider this a false alarm but it turns out too true being speedily confirmed first by the retirement of the bride and a select file of intimates who are to prepare her for the journey and secondly by the withdrawal of the ladies generally to this there ensues a particularly awkward pause in which everybody essays to be factious and nobody succeeds at length the bridegroom makes a mysterious disappearance in obedience to some equally mysterious signal and the table is deserted now for at least six weeks last past it has been solemnly devised and settled that a young couple should go away in secret but they no sooner appear without a door than the drawing-room windows are blocked up with ladies waving their handkerchiefs and kissing their hands and the dining-room paints with gentlemen's faces beaming farewell in every queer variety of its expression the hall and steps are crowded with servants in white favours mixed up with particular friends and relations who have darted out to say good-bye and foremost in the group are the tiny lovers arm in arm thinking with fluttering hearts what happiness it would be to dash away together in that gallant coach and never part again the bride has barely time for one hurried glance at her old home when the steps rattle the door slams the horses clatter on the pavement and they have left it far away a knot of women servants still remain clustered in the hall whispering among themselves and there of course is anne from number six who has made another escape in some plea or other and been an admiring witness of the departure there are two points on which anne expatiates over and over again without the smallest appearance of fatigue or intending to leave off one is that she never see in all her life such a oh such a angel of a gentleman as mr harvey and the other that she can't tell how it is but it don't seem a bit like a work-a-day or a sunday neither it's all so unsettled and unregular End of The Young Couple from Sketches of Young Couples Recording by Christine G. in Oslo, Norway The 18th of January, 2012